right, so thank you everyone for joining this space. We are going to have a conversation with one of the hosts of uh, Sounds Creepy podcast. And this will be actually recorded and released as a bonus episode on, on our podcast because as of right now, we are currently on break for regular episodes. But we will be doing mini ep or, or a mini series of episodes rather for the next few weeks until we are able to come back. So I figured let me go ahead and, and get a hold of podcasts that are kind of starting out or that are related to the topics that we talk about. For example, in this case, we talk about horror movies and horror books and media, stuff like that. So I figured I would um, ask, and, and actually, they are the first ones that we do this with. So thank you guys for, for agreeing to talk to us, and we are looking forward to talking to you. Thanks so much for the invite. I always always keen to talk about creepy stuff. Awesome. So I guess we should get started with uh, uh, who are you? <laughs> like, you know, who, like, what is uh, your podcast about? Okay, my name's Nix. And I am one of two people on Sounds Creepy. My husband, Sydney, is the other. And our podcast is about creepy moments in film. They're not necessarily horror movies, but horrific scenes in movies. And very often these moments, these scenes, go together with contemporary music or with scores and how that elevates the moment. And we like to talk about the technical aspects thereof. I'm a filmmaker and my husband is a social scientist with a psychology uh, background. So we delve into what makes these things unsettling. So did you study film or is it just something that developed out of your own like passions? Well, I've always been fa uh, passionate about film and television. I basically grew up in front of the screen, others, sisters, cousins, and friends like that. Um, so I had to be into film. Uh, unfortunately, everything didn't work out straight out of school. But in my late 20s, I went to college and I studied film and television. And here I am today. Uh, my free time, well, in, my day job actually is doing YouTube for a tech company. So we make movies, uh, we, ma we make videos uh, for YouTube, and then I do the podcast and I do other film-related and photo-related things for fun. Oh, that's really cool. I was actually going to ask you if you had done any, any film or TV work or something like that. So that, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I did spend some time um, on set doing some local films, but I tell you, it's, it's grueling stuff. So mostly I, I'm an editor, that's what I do. Okay, so I think a lot of us have this like romanticized image of what it's like to make a movie or a film or, or a show, and that you're saying that it's nothing like that? It's really like hard work? It is really hard work. Uh, most days are 12 hour days. So you could, for instance, if, if you have to be on set on Sunday, Sunday evening, six o'clock, then you will be working until Sunday, Monday morning, six o'clock. Oh, wow. So if you can't do that, and oftentimes it's in bad weather or it's uh, in an area where there's just nothing there. The nearest bathroom might be quite far away if they don't have the facilities on set. Sometimes there's catering, sometimes there's not. It really depends on the budget. But it's really something that you do for, for the love of the game. Um, you have to work quite hard or be in the right in the right click you know to to be able to to get the big big show right off the bat yeah i've actually been uh watching the the this series on netflix it's called the movies that made us and they talk about some like behind the scenes stuff from some of the movies from the 80s that are really popular yeah so that's when i started thinking like man you watch a movie and you're sitting there as in the audience for an hour and a half two hours maybe on the average but these people put in the effort of weeks, if not months, of, like you said, long hours and maybe the, not the best conditions to work in. And it's just really amazing that these things actually get made <laughs> in a lot of cases. Absolutely. One of the most impressive things that I saw on set was uh, two makeup artists working virtually in the dark under the light of a smartphone um, in torrential rain under a tiny little... Uh, uh, you know overhang of a roof so it is really it's grueling stuff but if you love film uh, you'll stick around unfortunately i just i couldn't find it in myself i really like my warm bed so <laughs> I, I spend my 
time I learned as much as I could, but um, editing at least is in a, in a warm, cozy space in my house. Okay, that's awesome. That's, that's, that's a little bit more optimal for you. I was going to ask you, when it comes to your podcast, uh, what planted the seed in your mind, or, or I don't know if it was you or your husband that, that decided, let's go ahead and, and talk about some of the things that we like to think about and, and that we actually studied and, and do for a living. So how did that whole thing get started for you guys? Well, Hubby actually came up with the idea, but initially he wasn't a part of the show. Uh, I was looking for something to do for me, and he's a very busy guy, but I just didn't really follow through. I just sort of made it straight out of college. Mm -hmm. And then I was kind of stumped about what I wanted to do because everybody's got a phone podcast. And then he said, well, you know, the most important thing is to find your niche. And he said, so if you could pick anything, what would it be? And I'm like, well, film and, and music. I really love both of those things. And, you know, they don't, don't necessarily have to be horrors, but things that, you know, some people might find unsettling, I find to be quite interesting. And so I came, I came about the whole Sounds Creepy. It just, uh, it just sort of came into my mind, the title. And later I was able to convince him because I was going to do a solo show. Um, after I had already written the first episode, I said to him, listen, this would be much better if I can talk to you about it. And first I tried a, a different host, a different co-host. Didn't work out. So I came back to him and basically begged him. He's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And luckily he's passionate as well. He also has a background in media. So we're just getting along like a house on fire. I mean, I think the concept of your podcast is pretty interesting because a lot of people, I mean, my, ourselves included in, in our podcast, we focus on the whole movie, like in general as a whole, as, as far as the production, the music, the behind the scenes stuff, and then we uh, would do something that connects the topic of the movie or whatever we're talking about to something from real life. So for example, just to give you a, a, an example, um, we did an episode on the remake of The Blob from the 80s, and then we talked about something that's a, a fungus, or not a fungus, but a, a some sort of moss from real life that behaves in a similar way. So, I mean, but in your case, you guys pick a specific movie or situation in, in, in the movie, and you talk about it, and you break it down as to why or how that would freak people out, right? Yeah, basically, um, I've decided to just take the films that I really love. Uh, I've planned three seasons, but the first season specifically is about contemporary music and creepy moments. So the first one we did was Silence of the Lambs and Goodbye Horses. Then we did uh, Blade and Confusion. And then some, some episodes to come are um, American Psycho and Huey Lewis in the News. And um, we had... The other one, American Werewolf in London with Blue Moon. And I think we're going to end off the series probably with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which in that case, it's a score. But there are multiple really creepy moments in that film that I'd love to talk about. So me being a music person, I've been playing music for the past 20 plus years or so. I do think that music could break or make a scene or a movie in general. So. It's pretty cool that you're doing stuff like that, but would you say that it usually works better when it's, for example, a creepy or horrific scene and there's some sort of happy music going on in the back? Like, for example, like you said, with American Psycho, where they have Huey Lewis and this guy's like butchering people on screen. That's absolutely what it's about for me. Um, I like the, 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 the subversion of it. I find it to be exciting and interesting. You know, you, you hear this stuff, you hear, usually you hear the song and it's upbeat. Sometimes, you know, lyrically, it's, it's not always upbeat, but certainly the music is. And then something terrible is happening on screen. You know, uh, like with Reservoir Dogs and uh, Steeler's Wheel stuck in the middle with you. It is so unnerving and so creepy. When that song starts playing, he does this little jig and then he just douses this guy in petrol. And, you know, I, I, we don't see the rest, but we know exactly what's happening. And I think that is the thing that is supposed to really, it, it pushes, and I enjoy that. I think that's great. Yeah, because a lot of horror movies, they, I mean, they have amazing soundtracks, don't get me wrong, but it's usually the kind of very similar motifs and, and instrumentation and stuff like that. 
which is cool, but I think, like you said, it's it's usually more unsettling or disturbing when you see something that's that doesn't really quite match up in real life. When you think it's like an upbeat song, and then you see someone getting a knife in their throat or something. <laughs> so that's kind of like, um, I, I think, more effective as when it comes to trying to creep someone out. I also do think that it kind of brings your attention back to the screen. You know, it's, it might seem a little odd. And then the, the music, the fact that, I mean, like in Silence of the Lambs, that song, Goodbye Horses, actually contributes so much as well to, to telling the story, to giving us more insight about the character. That's one of the reasons I did that one first, because it's the best one that I've come across. So certainly the song is not very upbeat. But lyrically, it explains so much about the character. And the interesting thing about that is that song wasn't going to be the song that they were going to use originally. That was sort of just spur the moment. They, they had prepared something else. And then spur the moment, uh, Jonathan Demi um, mentioned Goodbye Horses. And then Ted Levine said, he liked to try that instead. You would be amazed at how much that song contributed to that scene. You're talking about the scene where he's dancing around, right? Where he's prancing with his little robe or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the one. That is, uh, it's a. That is, I think, one of the scenes that sticks most in people's minds. You know, when you say "Silence of the," they think about the girl in the pit, and they think about Hannibal, and they think about Clarice. But if they've seen that movie, guarantee they're going to talk about the tucking scene. Yeah, it definitely stands out. Actually, I just saw the movie recently, not too long ago, and I haven't seen it in a long time, probably several years, and I was like, wow, that's a really disturbing scene. I mean, not, you know, just like you say, because of the music and everything. So, when it comes to to deciding which scenes, for example, uh, how do you guys approach that? How do you decide, you know, this scene's going to be the one that we're talking about for this specific movie, or do you discuss that beforehand, or do you have some sort of, like, just random system like let's go talk about this movie and, and we'll watch it and pick a scene you know whenever so how does that process work for you well like i said he's basically just my co-host i do everything else i plan it out i write it and i you know drag his ass to the studio so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah like i said um i'm the writer uh, i come up with, with with what we're gonna do and uh the series and all of that so the these are scenes and things that have really touched me. Um, I'd like to do an episode in our third season that is a scene that he really likes, uh, but there's no music that goes with it. So unfortunately, only the first uh, the first season is going to have you know the musical connection. From there on out, I might talk about the occasional score, but you know a lot of people also discuss that. I actually listened to your Blade episode, and, and that's what I was. Uh... It, that what I had in mind when I was going to talk to you today because I was like again it's an interesting concept in the sense that it's not an overall movie analysis it's more of a specific type of situation and I like how you guys broke down that scene where, where he's the, the human guy in the beginning is running around the club and then Blade shows up and there's blood spraying everywhere and, and so would you say that's one of your favorite movies? Um, yeah, I do. I really enjoy that scene. People think that it freaks me out. It doesn't freak me out. It didn't even freak me out back then. But it certainly made me sit up and, you know, pay attention. Because as I said before, I didn't really grow up with other kids. So I didn't have that thing of, oh, you know, we stayed over at a, an older cousin's place and we watched whatever horror movie from the 80s. I didn't have any of that. I grew up very conservative. And my mom certainly did not want me to watch scary or horror related movies. So I got into a lot of that only as I started becoming a teenager and was left home alone. And I had VHS and at that point DVDs as well. And I started just, you know, sitting through them. And that came out when I was about, I think 11, I saw it run about 13. And it was just so cool. Like I said, you know, I wanted to be a vampire instantly. I was like, these people are sick and perverted and I love it. It's, there's such excess in that scene um, that like I said, maybe it will creep some people out. Certainly it did creep some people out. But I just thought that that moment was so cool. I mean, that, that poor guy, he, he doesn't even have a name. <laughs> we don't even hear his name. So he was just, you know, a lamb to the slaughter from the start. 
you don't mind me asking, when exactly did you guys, or, or did you specifically grow up? You grew up in the 90s? Yeah, I did. I was born in 88, so I uh, grew up in the 90s. Uh, the early 2000s, I was in high school, or just going to high school. Uh, so a lot of the 90s stuff was, was really good for me. But I like anything up to, you know, silent movie era, pre-code, uh, black and white. I love those old horrors. I love a lot of camp as well. So I'm into I'm into basically everything. Actually, the last 10 years, I'm not too clued up on. Um, as you well know, eventually just start watching the same stuff over and over again. But there's a lot of good stuff still happening. So I'm quite excited about new stuff as well. Um, I'm watching things like Midnight Mass on Netflix. So much fun. I agree with you. I mean, I grew up in the... I mean, I was born a little bit before you in 84. So I'm about four or five years older than you are. And so, I mean, I can't say that I'm an 80s baby because I really... I mean, I was a baby in the 80s, so... Your, your memories aren't really that well formed when you were like three or four years old. But I remember, I mean, I grew up in Mexico before I moved to the States. And back in those days in Mexico, we would have movies from the States. Like, you know, of course, I had the Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, the Friday the 13th stuff. All that, all, like all the 80s movies that were big here in the 80s were actually kind of big over there, maybe up until about three or four years after the fact. We actually suffered from that as well. We, um, because of apartheid, we didn't get a lot of movies. We didn't get a lot of television um, that the rest of the world had. So we got a lot of that stuff only about 10 years after the fact. That's, I mean, I, I think that's very interesting. I mean, in our case, I mean, we're right next door to the United States. We're, we're really, literally like on, on the South border. But yeah, what happened with us in Mexico is that, I don't know, it might've been some sort of film distribution rights, legal stuff, because, I mean, of course, you'd be mm. able to see the movies in the theaters when they came out, but uh, maybe a couple of weeks or months after they came out? Yeah, here it's an average of three months. Wow. Three months from, from the big screen to the small screen, yeah. Wow, so in our case, for example, let's say a movie came out, which is the newest Halloween movie, whatever, and it came out maybe in, in for the sake of an example, in 88, um, you'd be able to go, to go see it, and, and you know, two or three months after it came out in the US, you could be able to go see it in theater, but then it would take about three or four years before it premiered on TV, on, on cable. Yeah, TV. some of the stuff we didn't even, yeah, some of the stuff didn't even really get make it to cable. But I mean, I didn't have cable as a kid either, you know. <laughs> I, mm. I was very uh, unfortunate in that sense, but luckily, thank God for VHS, you know. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I could start boot, as soon as I could start bootlegging, I did. So, I mean, wow, like, you guys are, since you mentioned you're so far away and, and it took forever to, for things to get to you, that was the only way you guys could get it, through VHS? Yeah, it got a little bit better uh, in the 2000s when, with DVD, but, like I said, it was, it's difficult when you don't have, you know, a lot of friends, you grow up in a small community, um, no, no brothers and sisters, no cousins. That's, those are usually your peers, you know, that's where you get the stuff. You get, you get something that you're not supposed to watch and you're over there for Christmas and you, you tape it over or you copy it or whatever. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of access to that, but, but as soon as I got access to people that had called well, cable or whatever, here we, we have satellite dish, oftentimes you'd be like, hey man, tape me that thing and I'll do something else for you. And the same thing with music as well. Oftentimes, we can get the CDs. I mean, you know, you know Rodriguez. I'm sure you've heard of Sexto Rodriguez. His stuff was banned here when it came out. I mean, the albums were scratched out. You couldn't listen to "I Wonder," uh, for instance. You're talking about the dude that's uh, he's like a a, a singer-songwriter. I think, right? I think I've heard of that case where. Yeah. He made albums over here in the states, and like nobody listened to them. But then when they got to you, they they he became like a super megastar. Oh, yeah, people absolutely love him here. Um, <laughs> I grew up with his music. My uncle was a big fan. And the first time that I could go to one of his concerts, I did. That was about maybe 10 years ago. And I snuck in backstage and I followed him out to his car just to shake his hand. <laughs> that's, that's amazing how he became famous. I don't know, what was it, 20 years after the fact or something like that? Oh, much, much more. He was uh, He started his musical career in the 70s. Oh, wow. 
So going back a little bit to what you mentioned, that you actually triggered a memory in, in my mind where, like I said, I grew up in Mexico, so I would spend like Christmases in my grandma's house typically. And actually I would go back and forth because I'm right on the border, so I would be here in the States for the school year and then I would go back to Mexico for the holidays. And it's funny how you said that, that you would go and hang out with your, or, or the people would go hang out with their cousins and tape over videos and stuff like that because we literally would do that. There was literally a van, a vehicle, a van, parked in, in this lady's house. And she, she had it conditioned so that you could walk into the van through the, through the side door. And she had all these old school VHS tapes that were pirated. And you could rent them out from her. So she wasn't an official like blockbuster or video rental place. <laughs> she kind of just like pirated movies from somewhere. And then she would rent them out from her house, from her van. <laughs> so I was like, and you would rent it, of course, you know, for like a dollar or whatever. And, and you, go, you go home and see it and it's all grainy and it's all distorted. And, and I mean, it, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious but VHS VHS doesn't have a good life you know VHS tapes deteriorate so quickly especially if you leave them on pause they would just uh, not last very long yeah so that's hilarious I mean how many of us got got exposed to stuff that we normally wouldn't have had a chance to see through stuff like that I mean it's, I'm not trying to glamorize or, or romanticize piracy but I mean that's kind of <laughs> a part of our lives. I mean, at least for us over here. I mean, Mexico is considered to be a third world country, and and I think it's you know, there's parts of Mexico that have a lot of money, but most of the country is unfortunately like really really poor. But I mean, that's the way that we could get things like that, just just uh, through piracy and through illegal trading and stuff like that. So I mean, it's just um, I, I'm kind of like thinking about the similarities for you. I mean, in your case, like the distance, I think played the biggest part in that. Yeah, no, definitely. We are also considered a third world country and, you know, there's rampant poverty poverty here. And I mean, we didn't have it as bad as many people, but, um, you know, through teenage parents, my dad was in the army. So, yeah, things were, were pretty tough for us. And a lot of the times, I mean, I didn't I didn't own a new, you know, like a, a bought VHS tape, like, you know, made by a distribution studio or whatever until I was a teenager and I could buy them from the old video stores that were selling them. So I grew up maybe up until the age of 13, 14, just bootlegs. That's, that's, all, we, that's all we had. So it's not glamorous, of course, but they, they made us, they made us, you know, the way we are today. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of forced to find, find our way to find things, really. Yeah, I had a, I had an aunt actually when DVDs started becoming a thing. She did the same thing. Those, oh, those terrible cam videos where some some stupid bastard would record it in the in the uh, um, cinema, and we'd all be shaky, and somebody would get up, or you'd hear people coughing in the back. Oh, they were terrible. But oftentimes, those were the only things that we had access to. You can still find those on the internet, actually, right now. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm trying to watch a movie and, and it's not on any streaming service, I mean, I'll, I'll try to find a way to find it somehow. And it'll seem like a legit link somewhere, and you and you click on it, and it's, like you said, some guy recording through their phone or something. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, this is horrible. Even now... Oh, like, it's terrible. Yeah, like, that's terrible. crazy that, that, you know, in 2021, that's still happening right now. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, at least I think streaming, streaming has made it a little bit better, you know? Yeah. So, I wanted to ask you, uh, before we let our, our guest people here ask you a couple of questions, how do you feel about remakes? Do you feel like remakes often get a bad rap and is that justified or is it really because the movies don't capture the spirit of the original source? That's a tough one, man. Some remakes are good. Um, I don't think all of them are warranted or needed, but I do understand that it's a money mill for a lot of people. Something does well, and then a new generation comes along, and they try to sell it to them too. So, I mean, some some people even remake their own films. You know, if you look at Sam Raimi, he redid Evil Dead. You know, the Evil Dead 2, as we know it today, is, is a remake of the first. And thank God he did that. Um, I think five, five or seven years later, I'm not sure. Um, because, I mean, Evil Dead 1 was good, but Evil Dead 2 was even better. The story was more concise, and it was certainly a lot funnier. So I appreciate that. 
but live action remakes i don't know if we really need them uh those disney movies they, they tend to be disney films i was a massive fan still am a massive fan of the lion king i think that the the live action remake is an abomination it doesn't take anything away from the original certainly i'm not sad about that i can always watch that and it's always amazing but i mean even aladdin that, that was not great in my opinion and i don't know if this is the kind of legacy we want to leave you know is this what kids think is good i'm not sure how do you feel about remakes i think honestly a lot of them are made for for the cash grab unfortunately i think a lot of it is driven by of course i mean it's a business so they have they have to find a way to make money and that's ultimately what it comes down to unfortunately a lot of times and i think that the art or the the essence of whatever made that film great a lot of times is kind of thrown aside for the sake of of money and i'm not saying that i hate all of them i mean i i, I like some remakes i like for example the remake of the thing you know john carpenter's i think that thing is, is a really awesome film and that's back from the 80s but if, but still oh yeah still i think even the fly yeah the fly with, the remake with... of the fly really good i like both of them yeah that one too and i actually like Zack snyder's or was it donna dead from like 20 years ago that one I thought yeah, was, yeah. was pretty good, even though it's quite different from the original. I mean, the the zombies are all different, and and the storyline it's not quite the same. But I thought that was pretty well done. So I do think that even if you change some things, I, I mean, when it comes to remakes, I think a lot of stuff is changed for the sake of adapting it to the times or for whatever they feel the audience is gonna be into at that time. Yeah. But um, even then, I think if they actually did change the right things the right way it could be well done like like that that one for example the Dawn of the Dead with Zack Snyder yeah no I mean he's he's great and the, the thing is though a lot of the times I don't know if you've noticed some movies that we think that we grew up with that were originals were also remakes of 50s or 60s films that we just didn't really see so there are quite a bit of them out there uh, I had a discussion with somebody one day about it and they they blew their top they're like oh yeah now you're just nitpicking whatever but a lot of the movies that I thought I grew up with that were originals of my time were just remakes. Yeah, like the ones that we mentioned. I, I always thought, like when I was a kid, that the thing was an, like an original movie by by Carpenter, and I thought The Fly was original. And I thought which one? Oh, The Blob, also from the eighties. I thought that was the original. But then I, I later on found out that those movies were made 20, 30 years before the originals. So. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, and and you know, speaking about the ones that I don't like. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, I respect anyone's ability or, or, I don't know what to call it, but um, artistic vision, I guess. Like, for example, uh, Rob Zombie, when he re remade Halloween, I didn't enjoy either one of those. I do know there's people that like those and, and uh, they think are great movies. I personally don't. I mean, I, I don't like the way he changed things, but that's just like, I mean, when it comes to things like these, it's ultimately a matter of personal preference. So, I mean, I've, I do know that those movies have a big following in, in some circles. But that's an example that I would give in case somebody asked me, well, well, what's a remake that you think is not well done? I would say those, <laughs> for sure. But, I mean, um, I, I just feel like he went too far as far as the backstory of Michael Myers and, and that it was too different from the source. But, I mean, tweets their own. I, I, I guess... There are people that like that, and if they do, I mean, that's that's their right, that's their, their prerogative. And but me personally, I, I think like that one, for example, and also the remake of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Also, I I don't think that one was well done, well done at all either. But I I don't know if it's just me, like my nostalgia, because those are like my favorite movies, <clears throat> the ones from the eighties. So yeah. I don't know if I'm biased personally <laughs> on those, but. <laughs> I mean, tweets around, so... No, man, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Alright, so I guess we're going to open up the floor to the the couple of people that we have here listening to us. In case any of you guys have any questions or comments about what we've been talking about, or if you want to ask Nyx here some a specific question about her podcast, uh, let's go with Trendy first. How's it going, Trendy? There we go. There's my mic. Um... Actually, it's pretty cool. I This is the first time I've actually, I think, been able to talk on one of these Twitter spaces. So, I was going to say on the Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, that's because Robert England is totally Freddy and nobody can convince me anything else. 
So, I don't know what it is, but that's why that man does that. I know that you you do, like, those certain scenes and the music that goes with them. Is there, like, is it just stuff that, that grabs you from your viewing uh, history? Or is it something, or do does somebody, you know, like, it come up in conversation, hey... Have you seen this movie? Oh my God, this this music goes straight with it. Does that ever happen with you? I wish it did. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of friends in real life. Okay, let me just put that out there. But um, I do like to talk to people about movies, and I at college I, I enjoyed talking to to some people. So I got a little bit of exposure there from from other people who are really into film. But oftentimes I find things or I notice things that many other people don't or most other people don't. Oftentimes I'll talk to somebody but I'm like, oh dude, did you hear that song? And they're like, oh, I don't even recall the song. So unfortunately, I wish it happened more often, but it doesn't. Okay, makes sense. (laughs) Do you have a favorite combination? Mine is more like scores, if that makes sense. Yeah, what's your favorite score? Tell me. Oh, Jaws. Oh, dude, we're totally going to talk about Jaws. <laughs> we have Jaws, to talk about Jaws. Jaws. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But, and it was actually yeah. a, did you know that it was a smart-ass John Williams statement? Oh, of course, John Williams. Yeah, tell me about it. Well, the thing was, they were like, well, we need a real minimalist score. And he sat down and did, like, the da as a smart yeah, yeah. ass conversation and it stuck. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. I love it when that happens, you know, something completely unexpected and it just makes it. Like uh, Danny Elfman um, wasn't gonna do like all of the stuff for Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, as mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mitz actually points out, if you watch um, the movies that made us, they talk about that one specifically. And he just, by accident almost did the whole thing it worked out so well (laughs) i love it i love it when those things happen they make me the happiest gotcha so i remember that story i think i I saw that somewhere where they were thinking how are we going to score this film when it comes to jaws and the guys was like that and okay and then the the other person's like okay so what is that yeah that's that's the song that (laughs) <laughs> like this, this, those two notes and they're like uh okay and then of course you, you hear the final product and it's just a, <clears throat> a brilliant piece of music and it's, it, it really sets the mood and it's really horrifying in its own right so I thought that's, that's pretty cool <laughs> oh and by the way do, uh, do you have anything to ask next right, right now besides uh, interchanging information I don't know that I have anything to ask I'm, I'm just listening to you guys uh, talk about movies and what you like about them and I'm I'm very much in agreement, so I'm enjoying just listening. I am um, I'm a, I'm an originals fan too. I read the books, you know, very often before they get made into movies, if there is a book. Um, uh, Aliens is one of my favorite movies. Um, very simple uh, music there too. Uh, I thought Ridley Scott did a really well, a really good job of producing that movie, and uh, just as you know, the music's very simple but very effective. It's all, you know, orchestra, um, or, um, orchestral, how do you say that? Orchestral music, instrumental music. Um, and then, uh, let's see, I just, um, the new Dune um, movie. I am a Dune fan. Preach. I am a Dune fan. I love it. And I love it when they keep true to the books. And I'm, I'm, I love the whole, I love the whole universe I uh, that, that Frank Herbert created. I've read the originals as well as the prequels um and it's it's a fabulous um it's you can tell that it's not just you know he's making a lot of analogies for our the way that our world works too um it's you know it's very orwellian in a lot of ways um and the way that he explains the history of the whole the whole um you know butlerian jihad and how this all happened the the mythology and the epic feel to the story is really what I like. I, I, I for the same reason I like Stephen King and the Dark Tower series 
those epic stories that are detailed and very nuanced and, um, you know, intellectual and subtle. They're not, you know, necessarily like big blockbuster movies. And um, somebody else said uh, about music, you know, um, oh, I've never heard that. I listen to me. I don't listen to any mainstream music. Um, everything I listen to is not going to be something you will ever find on the radio. So I think um, I'm in the right room and I'm enjoying listening to you guys. That's awesome, man. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you, what did you think of the Dark Tower movie that came out a couple of years ago? I never watched it. Was that Did they actually do that with McConaughey and uh, Idr- um, Idris Eba or... Please you just do help. yourself a favor. Do yes. Favor. Oh, you're signed. So they actually did. I'm not even going to watch it. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm sure some people liked it, but it wasn't good. Not for me. Think of it like they try to condense the entire series into an hour and a half movie. And think of, of how they could have thought they could actually make that work. And of course it didn't. But anyways, I go into the theater, and it's about a week after the movie was released, because I, I like to give it some time. I don't like to be in a crowded theater with people in general. And so I went, and there's nobody in the theater but me. And, like, this one couple, like, somewhere off in the distance. And I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm like, okay, it's not the same thing, but okay. And, and as the movie goes on, I'm just, I'm just like, oh, my God, should I just walk out of this? Because I'm like, I, I was feeling embarrassed for the movie makers. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, like, I, I thought, or I said earlier how everyone has their vision and stuff like this, but when it comes to something that's dear to your heart as a fan, it's like, what are you guys thinking? Like, what are you, what drugs are you guys consuming? Because it's not giving you the right, <laughs> the right influence or the right inspiration. But, yeah, do yourself a favor and uh, just stick to the books. Uh, it sucks because I heard they were thinking of making that into a series at, at one point. Uh, through HBO or Amazon, and I think they actually shot a pilot and it wasn't picked up. So I'd be interested in looking at what that pilot looked like just for the sake of, of curiosity. But I was frustrated when I walked out of the, when the movie ended. I was like, okay, I know the characters, I know the story, I know. I, I guess I could see what they were trying to do with it, but it's like there's no way in hell it could have made it work in, in a two-hour movie. It's just impossible because the universe in that story specifically is so rich. The characters are so, so well developed and the situations are all thought out really clearly. So trying to condense seven movies or seven books worth of storytelling into one two-hour movie is just not going to happen. Okay, did you read the whole series? Yeah, actually, I started reading the series when I was a kid in high school. I mean, by that point, I think only four books have been written, the first four. And as I mean, as the books came out later, later on, and, and I think the, the last one came out in like 2007 or eight. So I would read them. I would pick them up as they came out and I would read them. And of course, I mean, every book is different. And he wrote the, the series over the span of what, like 30 years, whatever, 30, 40 years. So there's differences, of course, in the stylistic writing and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, I think in general, uh, it's probably one of the best stories I've ever read as a whole. Okay. So here is the deal with the uh, movie, and we watched it. We didn't go see it in the theater. We will, we rented it over, I think, a New Year's Eve, and I got so pissed off because I'd read all the books and I had been invested. And so I was like, okay, what the hell are they doing? I went immediately. I was like, Google, we go. Like, come on, Google, what is going on here? What? because of it is that that separate universe that the king verse and there's so much going on and um i mean the end book the dark tower has been out for the longest time so i'm not spoiling anything but what they were saying was it was one of those alternate start over points for Roland. so it that was what they were using as an excuse for any weirdness that they decided to put in there just to make it work for a movie. So it, it's, it, that was how they were justifying uh, the ridiculousness, so, if that makes sense. I heard about that too, because when you finish the story, I mean, spoilers alert for anyone that hasn't read the books, 
but yeah, I mean it's it's been out for a long time, guys. I mean the <laughs> the story goes back to the beginning, but there is a slight change because now he's got the horn of eld with him, whereas in the first book he didn't have it. So I actually read. I think it was an interview or an article with Stephen King a couple of years after I read the last book where he said, well, that just symbolizes that, okay, the story might be the same, but now he might actually have a chance of actually redeeming himself. So I do recall that that's, that's the reason why they said the movie was so different, because it's a different, like, uh, I guess, level of the tower, if you want to talk nerd terms here. <laughs> right. But well, and I... I mean, even then, it's Go like, ahead, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, it's okay. I was, I was just going to say, that even then, I, I don't think the movie was done well at all. Like, the, as far as the, the story elements and, and everything like that, I mean, I thought it was just absurd. I will say, I would totally buy into Ildris Alba, Alba as Roland. Yeah, that was... The, the casting there wasn't bad. And Mazzy McConaughey is cocky enough that he can pull off bad dude, but they they did it so I yeah they they did not do it justice whatsoever, regardless of the uh, explanation. So, amen. That's my two cents. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can say we're all friends here in the end. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I did want to mention that um, if anybody is into hardcore sci-fi, I'm watching a series at the moment called um, Foundation, and I would definitely recommend that for everybody that is into that kind of stuff. I spoiled it by reading the book first. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it, it came to my doorstep, and my husband was like, listen, you want to watch this? And I was like, yes. And I, I, for somebody that hadn't read the book, I wasn't perturbed by any of that. But I have been absolutely whisked away by Lee Pace. That man is amazing. Um, he's a great character. Actor, uh, uh, Roland the Accuser. He played Legolas's father. He played in a bunch of series as well. Uh, I, he, he has a way of just disapproving. That is, I, I highly approve of it. <laughs> Since we're talking about books and, and adaptations, stuff like that, is there any adaptation that actually you you believe is better than the book source? Uh, for me personally, there's nothing that really comes to mind where the movie is better. Um, often, well, sometimes I'll find that it's on par. But the thing is, books have a way of, you know, you use your own imagination. It's great when you see the, the movie or the series and they, they, they put a face to a thing or to a place. But I often find the fact that you have your own imagination and you're creating these characters in your mind as they're being described. Uh, I mean, Harry Potter as well. I loved seeing all of that stuff on screen. But when I was reading the books, I actually read the books after the first two movies came out. Um, and I started with book three because the film wasn't out yet. And then I later reread one and two because I'd seen the films. And it was so much better in my head. Um, some of these characters were much larger than life. Uh, especially like Mad-Eye Moody. I thought that he was amazing in the books. And in the film, I just felt like you never really got to know him. And he had a special relationship with Harry and his friends. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, there's none for me. Do you have any? The one example, and this might be controversial, uh, that I have in which I thought the movie was really well done and, and it, I would say better to me, in my personal view, than the book would be The Exorcist. Because, I mean, I, I don't know if it's because I saw the movie first and I saw the movie several times over the, the past, you know, the course of my life. And I only read the book about five years ago, four years ago, maybe. And I'm not saying the book is bad. It's a great book. It's an amazing book. But I don't know if it's because I had the preconceived images in my mind of how the scenes played out that made me think, like, oh, man, you know, like, I, I'm not quite seeing things the same way that I saw the movies. Or, or the the one movie, the the first one, because the second one is horrible. But I think that would be the only one example that I can think of right now that I can say I liked the movie more than I did the book. I really liked Cloud Atlas, the movie. I mean, I liked the book, but I thought that the movie was sufficient in 
it was more than sufficient in expressing the ideas in the books. And it's, you know, it's pretty hardcore sci-fi. And as far as, um, as far as the ideas of it, you know, bouncing around between different stories and, you know, the future of the past, etc. Um, and, uh, the d dystopian nature of it. Um, and they did a really good job with the movie. Um, of course, you know, the Wachowskis, they, they usually do very, very good, um, pieces and, uh, very interesting, um, perspectives, great cinematography, um, and, uh, music as well. And the music in that movie, um, again, is very simple and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, instrumental. It's not, um, a bunch of, uh, you know, mainstream, whatever's on the, you know, popular on the radio at the time. So, um, I liked that one and I, I thought they did as, as good of a job as they could. I, I, I liked the movie, not necessarily better than the book, but they, I, I saw them as equals. Yeah. And no, I was going to say, uh, Cloud Atlas, definitely. That's a great score. And I was going to just touch on the exorcist with tubular bells. I mean, that is so iconic. I think the old movie um, Dracula, right, with uh, Keanu and uh, Winona in it, right, that the, the acting is not so great. Oh, but I thought that that yeah. movie was pretty good with um, Bram Stoker's idea of. Uh, I mean, it didn't explain everything, but the score again is uh, is very fitting for the movie. And then um, I, you know, like I said, I didn't really enjoy the acting. However, um, it would I thought it was pretty well made for. Um, you know, considering that was made uh, from a book that was written, you know, a very long time ago. I'd like to see somebody do, like, a really good version of uh, Homer, like the Iliad and the Odyssey. I was going to say, have you ever read uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, That's one oh, of my absolute oh. favorites. Um, okay. I, I had a problem reading it because it was kind of dry because of all of the um, journal entries. It bugged me. But, and, 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 and you made me feel old when you said it, the old movie with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I am firmly, firmly entrenched, entrenched in Gen X. So I was... Uh, uh, probably a bit older than you when you saw that movie. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure about that. Um, no spring chickens over here. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought it was good. Um, I liked the book very much, but I read it as a teen, and uh, you know, I I kind of listen. The writing is not great, you know. Um, in my honest opinion, it's. But because I'd been invested in the story of Dracula since a very young age, I sat through it and I enjoyed it. I've never actually read the novel, but I mean, I've seen several of the movies, and I, mean, I actually, and, and it's funny because I do have the novel, I own it. I would buy books by the handfuls when I was younger, and I have several of them that I have not, never even looked at after I bought them, so <laughs> I need to catch up on that, but. Uh, I do want to say that when it comes to that movie from the 90s, the Dracula one, I like, <laughs> well, ironically, like Keanu Reeves' Victorian surfer persona. I don't know about you guys. It sounds like he's, he's playing Ted in the 1800s from Bill and Ted. It's like, whoa, Dracula. <laughs> Dude. Honestly... <laughs> Keanu Reeves, I love him to death, but he plays Keanu Reeves no matter what movie he's in. Same thing <laughs> yeah. with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, they, they can't separate themselves from the character they're playing, apparently. But I, 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 at times, when I watch the Dracula movie, I laugh at Keanu Reeves' uh, portrayal of, of Harker. But, I mean, it's just the charm of it, I guess. It's, it's a charming uh, trait of that movie, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, Jack Nicholson also suffers from that. Uh, you don't get Jack Nicholson to play a character. You get Jack Nicholson in your film to just do Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, at, at some point, we got to talk about, like, do an actual, like, space maybe sometime in the future where we talk about people like that that are themselves, no matter what movie or, or time period or whatever character they're playing, because there's several of them, I think. 
I was going to do a callback and you guys were talking about um, uh, movies that did justice by the books. And it's this, it's a weird one, but Watership Down. Oh, you guys. Uh-huh. Do I, do I have to cry now or later? or? I'm yeah, so well, bad. the original one, not <laughs> the Netflix series. Or it was, I don't know no, if it was no, Prime no, or Netflix. The animated. Oh, yeah. The Scarred Me for one, Life, yeah. but it uh-huh. did justice to the book perfectly. I'm sorry, that, that's the one with the rabbits, right? Or something like that? Yeah, that's the one with the rabbits. Okay, yeah. I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's a, that's a horrible movie for a child to watch. <laughs> but it's not such made a good for children. Story. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, of course, watching yeah, it now is it's absolutely. like okay, yeah, you you appreciate, but when, like I think I saw it when I was like six or seven, and I think I cried. I'm, I'm pretty sure I cried at some point or throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I did too, but I it still remains one of my favorite childhood uh, movies, which says a little bit of something about myself but that's okay <laughs> no but i cried because of how horrific it looked not because of the story i think it, i just thought the, the the animation looked like scary the the rabbits the expressions and everything that i i thought was pretty unnerving and i was like oh that's that's creepy but i couldn't stop watching it <laughs> yep it's a, that uh, is absolutely absolutely my vibe you know uh creepy stuff like that and i mean a lot of animation um made for or not made for children is actually very creepy and i realized that at a very young age to watch things like uh i don't know biker mice from mars and uh i mean even he-man to a certain degree uh there's one that i really really like which is the one it's a, it's a what's the one with the machines and the what's the other one just give me a second here i just want to refer back Hmm, I'm not sure what she might be talking about, to be honest. Me either. Uh, Brave Star. Brave Star. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I know. We, oh, yeah, the one with the, the cowboy like, guy, right? In the future, kind of like steampunk? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's really creepy if you look at the at the characters and uh, you look at the bad guys. Uh, I really like stuff like that. I mean, Moomin is another good one. Yeah, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Moomin. They, they did a remake on it now as well. That is really creepy, unsettling stuff. I mean, there's one of the early episodes where the kids are playing and uh, the main character hides in a big hat that they fished out of the river. And then he crawls out of the hat and he is a monster. And his parents, nobody recognizes him. There was a cartoon that I, that I would watch when I was a kid and it's called The Silverhawks. I don't know if it's uh, familiar to any of you. It's about this... It's in the future, I think, and there's people in space and there's humans that have been enhanced through cybernetics so they're kind of like robots but human i guess kind of like robocop in space and you think about it that way but um the villain of that of that i think it was that series if i'm not mistaken but this guy he was some sort of alien and he looked pretty gruesome to begin with kind of creepy and anytime he he was going to fight the silverhawks he would go in this transformation scene and watching it in Spanish, I thought it was scary because, I, I, again, I grew up in Mexico, so I, I saw everything in Spanish. So the voice actor for that character was, like, scary as hell. Like, he was, like, like growling through the whole time. And that transformation scene, it's it's one of the scariest things I ever saw as a kid, but I, I was, like, always looking forward to it. <laughs> because he was, like, give me the power to fight, you know, whatever. And, like, he goes under, just, like, he looks like a devil, basically. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. But I, I thought that's definitely one of the, the moments that marked me as a kid. Like, yeah, this is, this horror stuff is pretty cool. I mean, it, it wasn't a horror cartoon, but that's one of the, the moments that I, I think, like, like the essence of your podcast next, that a scene and, and something that's not horror necessarily, but that it's horrific or creepy, and that's definitely one of the things that I, I have in my mind at all times. I really yeah, liked um, The Shining, right? The Shining, of course, that's classic. And then, um, and it's, you know, it is very true to the book. And then the sequel, Dr. Sleep, that was creepy without being completely horrific, like outright. It was creepy as, you know what I mean? Like creepy as all, it, that was creepy as all get out. 
So um, I had to find some other word to replace the F word there <laughs> since this is being recorded. Um, but I, I really liked Rose the Hat. Um, I like the idea of, you know, them stealing the shine and the explanation for why children should not be taken off to psychiatrists and all these kinds of things. It touched on some uh, very important societal issues without actually talking about them. And um, I, I really liked that um, they did that. They intertwined that into the movie um, and, you know, and the book without um, without outright saying, you know, <laughs> uh, what they were trying to say. I like that. The movie was really good. I do think that that actually did do the book justice in that case as well. I haven't seen the the Doctor Zeep, but I plan on seeing it sometime. And actually, I I'm gonna buy the novel. I haven't. I don't think I have that one. You know, that's crazy how many books you own at some point that you don't even remember. I and it's happened that I've bought the same book twice or three times even. <laughs> so I always end up giving them away, like the extra copies. I've reread the Dark Tower series, the first I've, four books, probably half a dozen times each. Yeah, I've had. Me too. Yeah. Okay, so uh, unfortunately, as fun as this discussion is, we do have to come to a close at some point. So um, I was going to ask if any of you have any other questions or comments about Nix's podcast or the discussion that we've been having in general. Like, what are some of the takeaways you guys are, are going to think about? tonight after <laughs> we're done here i just i just want an invite to the podcast <laughs> a link <laughs> so i can check it out absolutely i'll quickly pop it in the nest if you don't mind yeah go ahead yeah and i, I think i already submitted follow requests for for uh, trendy and is it revolution that's correct uh, uh do you have a podcast or anything like that no, I was on the radio for 10 years, and then I was broadcasting on Periscope for another five or six years, um, so I have a lot of experience. Definitely. I, I mean, I could hear it in, yeah, in the way you're speaking, I could hear like you're, you're a very, like, um, what's the word, fluid speaker. So I figured you might have a podcast with some sort of broadcasting experience. So that, that's awesome. Thank you for joining us. And that voice. That voice. I think you should narrate books. People have told me that so many times. I'm just not sure where to do it. Perhaps um, you guys could give me some advice on that. We're thinking of changing our format for our podcast a little bit because uh, if you're not familiar with us, we talk about movies and TV shows or books, whatever, that are horror-based for the most part. And we're thinking about doing maybe original stories and narrating those in our in our episodes or maybe on our YouTube channel. So we're still throwing, throwing, throwing ideas around. Sorry. But, I mean, that's something that I think you could consider because there's a lot of channels on YouTube that I follow that is basically a person reading stories that they've heard or they've gone through themselves or that people submit to them as far as, quote-unquote, paranormal stories, right? It, whether or not they're real, I mean, that's, that's up to the listener to judge. But that's the essence of those channels. Uh, there's It's a narrator, and they introduce the story, and okay, this story was sent by so-and-so from, from the United States, whatever. And this is their story, and they'll read the story as it was, you know, and I'm sure they make adjustments and stuff like that for time, const time constraints. But I think that that could be something, that's something you could do, if you want to consider that. I would definitely consider that. I've been told I should do, go back to radio, do ASMR, um, narrate books on, you know, uh, read books aloud online. So, um, since I've got this voice, <laughs> um, I should do something more with it than just, um, I mean, getting on Twitter spaces is fun, but, um, do a little more something with it. Yeah. And this is something that I'm planning on doing maybe not every week, but every so often, because, um, I'm, I'm trying to get podcasters to kind of just join a conversation. And, and today's conversation was actually great. I really appreciate the ideas that everyone brought to the table and the discussion was wonderful. I had a great time. So it's amazing to know that. Uh, I think I wasn't recording yet, Nix, but you mentioned how the community is very supportive and, and it's very... Um, what's the word? I'm, well, it, it's it's very welcoming to people. Like it, it's, I'm really pleasantly surprised because I always thought social media in general was just like a, a septic tank of people and it's like, I mean, not to offend anybody here, but... But uh, I, I, you always hear horror stories about how people are, are trolls to each other and just hateful and just negativity all over the place. But I'm really happy and surprised to find 
that at least in, in our community, the podcast community, if there's a lot of support, there's no bullying, there's no trolling, there's none of that stuff. So, yeah, I'm really happy to, to have the chance to meet people like you guys, for example. Yeah, I think uh, uh, social media is a horror story all of its own. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I think if you are in between your people, when you find your tribe, I don't know. I, I was always scared about the same the social media thing as well. I was scared to get it, start a podcast. I was scared to do spaces. But because I tried to surround myself with like-minded individuals, I d tend to not see any of that hate. I tend to not uh, come across any trolls because I am where I'm supposed to be. That's awesome. Do you have any final comments, Trendy? Or any other ideas you want to throw around? I am very appreciative that you guys let me participate. Um, and the, the podcast community, I thought, was going to be uh, almost elitist. And I have found the exact opposite. And everybody's so super supportive, which is fantastic. And I'm going to be watching for lives with you guys again. And hopefully I will be able to get on and talk to you folks more often. Well, definitely. Definitely, because uh, if whenever I do them, it's more likely going to be around this time of the day. on Sunday. I don't know what time zone you're in, Trendy, but... I'm on Central US, so it's Sunday noon for me right now, and that would normally be around the time period that I would do it because that's I, I I'm I'm off from work today, so I can get this done and then do my stuff, you know, whatever personal errands I have to run after this. So, but definitely, I mean, I I will be here sometimes, and I'll send invitations to anyone that can join us. Oh, by the way, uh, Robbie, I think you're there, right, dude? So thanks a lot for joining us. That's the little microphone icon there. On everyone's screen. Yeah, Robbie's there. He's 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 a good guy. He's a pal. So thanks a lot for joining us, Robbie. Uh, I don't know if you're a speaker right now. I don't think you are, but sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, but we see you there. So thank you for joining us. And well, that was amazing. Uh, once again, we were having a discussion with Nix from Sounds Creepy Podcast. We have had a very fulfilling conversation with you and our guests. Thank you, uh, Trendy and Revolution, for joining us. It was amazing talking to you. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, awesome. Thank you. Thanks for everybody that's joined. Yeah, thank you. Oh, by the way, next, do you have, uh, please, I forgot to, to ask you, uh, what is your social media stuff, your links, in case people want to find your podcast? Thanks, man. Um, I have a link tree on the Sounds Creepy page. Just check that out. But I've also posted up in the nest. I've uh, posted a link to our BuzzFeed. We are now on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, if anybody is interested. All right, awesome. Well, thank you all very much. It was very enjoyable. And once again, we hope to be able to do this again sometime soon. All right, so we hope you enjoyed that conversation we just had with Nix from Sounds Creepy Pod. Make sure to follow them on social media and listen to their podcast, of course. And speaking of social media, I want to remind you guys to check out our Linktree, which is under linktree.com slash myths behind LGDS, in which you'll find all of our social media links, including but not limited to our Facebook page, our Twitter profile, our Instagram profile, our TikTok, email, our anchor profile if you want to listen to our episodes online. And by all means, go ahead and check us out as well. Give us a follow, give us a like. Leave a review somewhere out there on the Apple Pods or whatever you prefer. That would give us the encouragement we need <laughs> to keep this podcast going. So before we sign off, I want to remind everyone to be good to each other, to themselves, and stay away from creepy people out there in the world. Unless you happen to be one of them, then <laughs> by all means, go to town. But yeah, until we see you in the next one, have a good one. <laughs>